Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon. I'm Alan Vanellick, an extension educator for farm and ranch management with, uh, with a focus on farm and ranch succession here at the Department of Ag Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Today, I'm joined by Dave Aiken, professor and agricultural law water specialist in the Department of Ag Economics. He will go over what plans should be in place for yourself and your business to guide decision-making in the event that you cannot work or speak for yourself. Those will include power of attorney, healthcare directives, and other um, end of life or end of or, or serious health issues, uh, things to be aware of. Before we get to Dave, I'm going to pre present first on retiring estate planning and how much communication is key to transitioning operations to the next generation. Between Dave and I, we hope you leave today's webinar inspired to jump into planning for the future or revising your plan or reinforce what you already have in place. So with that, uh, I'm gonna get going and uh, Ryan's already stopped his screen. So I'm gonna start my screen, share screen right here, share. Okay, there we go. Um, so here's my contact information. And uh, that phone number goes to my office. I'm not there much. We're asked to be work from home still. But you go ahead and leave a message, please, because uh, I have it uh, set up that it'll transfer straight to my, as a voicemail, straight to my email, or a recording straight to my email. And I'll be able to call you back. Uh, just just replied to a call this morning that came in. I was able to recall or reply within 15 minutes of when the call came. Also, we have a, a website, aggiecon.unl.eu slash succession, which shows all of my, my complete uh, set of handouts. Uh, Dave helped me write some of them. And then uh, it also shows some of the videos that I've recorded that people can look at and see. So onward we go. All right. So we have this pandemic thing, and that's why we're doing this whole series of uh, webinars on the Ag, uh, through the Ag Econ department. But how does that really change succession and estate planning? It does catch our attention. It does make everything more real. There are people getting sick. There are 170,000 Americans that have passed away. Uh, however, it really doesn't need to change, to change the need to have a farm succession plan. We should have one. Succession planning will be essentially the, the same with or without a plan. And you need to um, have one in place, in my view, for a myriad of reasons other than just the pandemic. And so if you're one of the people, I mean, I'm not trying to make <clears throat> any judgments here. But if you don't think the pandemic is a real issue in your area and not worried about the pandemic, you should still have an estate plan because you need to uh, be aware that uh, people will meet their demise. It could be a heart attack. It could be a stroke. It could be a, a cancer. It could be a, a, a farm accident. Any number of issues can come up. Uh, the pandemic is just one of them and, and makes it probably more of an issue at this time. Are we planning to retire? Most farmers are not planning to retire. 35% uh, have some plans to retire. That's a 20 plus to 15 over here. 
but uh, 9 plus 24 plus 21, 54% of Nebraskans in a survey of about three years ago that are not planning to fully retire from farming. And that, if you think that's interesting, look at the Iowa numbers. Uh, 30, 31% say they're never going to retire, and 47% they say only plan, plan to semi-retire. That's 78% of the Iowa farmers don't ever plan to fully retire. So it's a very interesting thing. So why aren't farming, why are we farming so long and why are we not retiring? Well, because I think for a lot of them, it's this control thing. Not wanting to give up control of the farm, you've had control of the farm. In some cases, farmers didn't get control of their farm until they're 50, 55 or 60. And so now they're even at retirement age and, and, and maybe if you've been at 65, you still have parents alive. And so you don't, still don't have full control because your parents still may own some land or something. So. You're, you're not wanting to give that up because of the way that the generations have uh, put themselves together here. Modern farm equipment allows them to farm longer. A lot of people could do a lot more in a day with comfortable tractors, a, a nice ride and the GPS, so a nice steering. Uh, they, re, they don't want to think about retirement because it relates to their own mentality. Uh, the sad news was be that they can't afford to retire. However, I'd say check your balance sheets. Maybe you need to retire sooner than later so you don't have a zero on your balance sheet when you retire, so you have something to retire on. Be careful about that. 60% uh, say they have a healthier, longer life, which is the good news. And then we have 55% to say they don't have a successor and 54% say they don't know, don't know what else they do. And it, to be true, I talk to farmers, relative, I think 54% is low. I think I talk to farmers all the time and say, if I retire, what would I do? I don't really want to go to the town and play cards. I don't really want to go to town and drink coffee. I don't really want to do this. And one farmer I said, well, you know, I, I like to go to Husker football, but we're not even doing that this fall. So why would I retire? And so it's a it's a very interesting uh, time we have right now. And I'm not trying to embarrass or get anyone to think about retirement. You're not planning to retire anyway, so don't worry about retiring. I'm not going to worry about you retiring. However, the lesson is, and we must think about this very carefully, no one's been able to avoid the pine box yet. Everybody meets their demise. And so the, 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 the estate planning part of this goes along the lines of, what happens to your stuff when you're gone? You have, you can't avoid that eventual end. What happens to your stuff? That's why we should have a state plan. More often than not, however, planning tends to be deferred some critical life event which occurs, which occurs, which, which forces the family to address the matter. Forces the family to address the matter. And what I say about that is, if we're waiting for that critical life event that's going to force us to deal with the state planning, uh, that means that something catastrophic has happened. And so is that our best thinking? Is that our best thought? Is that our best decision making? I would say when you're under that much stress, it may not be. So be careful about it. We don't plan because we think it's complicated. It's mental work. We just don't like facing our own mortality. And we are afraid if we do something, it'll be wrong at some point in the future. So at 65, if I make an estate plan, but I go ahead and farm until I'm 70, Maybe something's changed, and so now I need to change my estate plan. Well, I would suggest that changing an estate plan at 70 is way cheaper than not having an estate plan and, and having, uh, having a mess on your hands when you do pass away and with no estate plan. So changing a plan is cheaper than not having an estate plan. And we're talking tens of, or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So be sure you put a plan together. What I find is people have this circle of inaction when it comes to estate planning. I, they realize, number one, that they should have a plan. Number two, they go to a meeting or meet with a lawyer. That's not hard to get done. That's, that's pretty easy. But number three happens. This is complicated. It's giving me a headache. It's things I'm not used to thinking about. So I go into neutral. My brain goes into neutral, and I do it, take no action at this time. 
And step number four can last from three months to three years or longer. Like, how do I know all this? How did I put this circle together? Because it, it happened to me too. I, was, I knew from teaching this work that I needed to update my will and I needed to update my estate plan. And I didn't do it for, from, for three to five years. It just took me that long to get out of the circle of inaction to go through it and get going to, to finish this up. Sequentially, you need realizers have a plan or hopefully there's not been a catastrophic, catastrophic event, but maybe there has been. If you go to a meeting and or meet with a lawyer, the family will get together, explore options, not make decisions, but explore options. Then the, 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 the decision makers will make some options, pick, pick some options and decide what's going on. And then we have a succession plan, develop, sign, congratulations. Now, how long will that take? Can you get that done in three days? Probably not. Can you get it done in three weeks? Probably not. But you should be able to get it done in three to six months. Don't spend three years working on an estate plan because you have that circle of inaction going on. Get it done at some, you can sequentially get this done by Christmas pretty easily. But to understand this is what you're gonna be putting together. There's three types of planning. It has to go to the end of any career or end of any farming operation or the end of any business. You have to have an estate plan, will, trust, LLC, other structures to handle what happens to your stuff. You have to have a business succession plan which talks about if you want the business to continue, what that's going to look like and what, what are you going to do to keep that next generation there or whoever that goes to, keep those people there, that business succession, those, end, those uh, buy-sell agreements and, and first right of refusal agreements, and those kind of business planning documents in place. And then the third part, the part we're going to talk about today is end-of-life plans and end-of-life documentation. That's going to be Dave's talk. To make all this work together, we have to have conversations. And the first conversation we ought to have is with good, good communication. And what I'm talking about here is the family shouldn't get together and decide how stuff's going to get split. The family should get together first and say, are we going to have that uh, still got a family or not? Let's, yeah, don't make that assumption. Let's get that commitment. And secondly, our mom and dad, grandpa and grandma on the same page on this. That should be worked out first. Don't start having a conversation if the matriarch and patriarch don't agree. Because if they start having conversations with their kids and they don't agree, guess what? You've split the family wide open. So make sure that mom and dad are on the same page and make sure that you have a conversation or a commitment that you're going to have a family when you get done with your estate planning. That's an important part. Uh, the problem with communications is that we don't listen. The big mistake is we kind of listen, but we're thinking about what we want to say next the whole time the other person's talking. We need to not do that. We need to think about how, how we're going to clarify what they said. Even if I don't agree with something, I'm going to say, I think I heard you say, and you try to repeat as best you can what they said. Is that what you thought? Is that what I heard you say? And they would say yes or no. And then, and then tell me why you feel that way or get some more explanation about what's going on. If we would listen first, our communications would much, go much clearer. And in many cases, if we listen first and really ask some clarifying questions, we are not necessarily as offended with what the other person said as if we just react. If we react, that gets us in trouble. You have to listen first. Check your thoughts. If you have your mind made up, are you going to listen? I would submit maybe not. So be, be sure that you have uh, your brain clear and you're listening to what they're saying and you ask clarifying questions before you get any kind of a debate or argument about what's going on. And to be true, our younger generations will require and, and need better communications than what we received in the past. And so be sure that you're treating the younger generation with respect and uh, you're listening to them, especially uh, the female part of the younger generations. We as older guys tend to uh, get in trouble with those, those relationships. So be careful about that. Just something to keep in mind. 
for more information on my part, there's uh, my website again, I have it on the first slide. I have my articles on succession topics and video of all my lessons. And then, and then Brian's going to highlight this at the beginning and at the end of our, our webpage for all this series is at farm.umail.edu. And with that, I'm going to end. Uh, here's some other sites. If you pull up the handout after we get done with this thing, it's, I think it's posted at the website. You can go to these other web pages that are available. And with that, I'm going to get out of here and, and turn it over to Dave. And if you have any questions about anything I've said, uh, or anything is that Dave says, make sure you use the chat box and uh, or the Q&A box and ask those questions. So I think I've stopped mine and Dave, uh, Dave, you can start sharing and you can go from there. Thanks for letting me talk for a few minutes. Okay, thank you, Alan. Uh, I think Alan has made a real important contribution in terms of helping uh, farm and ranch families deal with the family communication part of the estate planning process, because that's the obstacle I think that that probably keeps a lot of folks from uh, from from making progress on that uh, estate planning project. But it's really important, and uh, and, and Alan has has uh, good information in helping you deal with that challenging part of it. So uh, I, I invite you to check out his his uh, materials. Okay, uh, when the pandemic got started, uh, some of our um, ag economics uh, educators were hearing a lot of getting a lot of questions about uh, the powers of attorney, either the business one or the healthcare ones, uh, you know, because of concerns about COVID and what might happen with that. And so um, I educated myself about that to where I could present some reasonably decent educational information and, uh, and here we are. It's, there's basically, you know, the two parts of the talk. The first one is the, the medical side. Uh, and the second one is the business side. And, uh, you know, if somebody comes down with COVID or as Alan said, you know, some other uh, incapacitating uh, health problem, whether it's a heart attack, stroke, you know, uh, accident of some sort, that type of thing. Uh, you know, there may be... Uh, people who need to uh, legally sign papers for you or, or stuff like that. And if you don't get this stuff set up in advance, uh, you know, it, it can be an additional complication that the family has to deal with that is, uh, that is tough. Now, this is standard operating procedure to have these things prepared. As you remember in Alan's slide, when he had the Venn diagram, he had, he had the end of life documents, but you know, if you, work with an attorney in developing an estate plan, you'll, you know, that part of what they'll do is have you look at, uh, you know, these end of life documents. And so this is a, a standard, uh, standard type of thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure there are probably a lot more folks out there who uh, do not have these uh, or haven't looked at them in a long time. Uh, and so we will uh, kind of take a look to see uh, what they are and and how they may fit into uh, your situation. And we're going to go with the the business one first. 
And um, it's really, you know, how people have structured, legally structured their businesses uh, can be quite varied. You know, some businesses are set up as corporations. Uh, and if you're in a corporation, then you've got, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the bylaws and everything else that spell out what happens in the business. And, uh, and particularly if, if the, somebody who's, say, the, the chairman of the board or something like that in the business, if they're, if they're unavailable, there's, there's something in there that takes care of, well, who, who does the, the chairman of the board's authority go to when the chairman is unavailable uh, or incapable of, of performing their function? And so if you are in something like a corporation or some other business structure where there is a detailed uh, operating agreement uh, that could be in, you know, any business can have an operating agreement, but most don't, uh, but structured businesses have to, they're, they're, it's part, it's legal requirement in terms of how they get set up and so forth. Uh, so what the point I'm trying to make is that for a lot of folks, you already may have a plan in place. You just may not be aware of it. And so you can, you know, touch base with your uh, attorney and, and see if, if that's the deal, uh, if you are or not. But if, you know, most uh, families, uh, farms or, or ranches, you know, it's, they don't have any formal written business structure. You know, it may be set up to where the land is owned by dad or by mom and dad. Uh, and uh, and everything else is just kind of on a handshake. Uh, beyond that, you know, then you know you're the group that needs a backup plan if the uh, owner or the what I'll who I'll call the leader of the business uh, become becomes you know incapacitated incapacitated and 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 uh, you know you need important. Uh, business decisions made, uh, papers signed. Uh, if you don't have this stuff set up in, in advance, uh, you know, and, but the, and the papers really do need to be signed, uh, then you have to, you know, you'll have to go to court and have the judge appoint a conservator uh, to be able to take care of that legal stuff uh, until the business owner or leader gets back on their feet and is able to resume their, their uh, business responsibilities uh, if you know, if, if they can. And of course, we always hope that that is the situation. Now, uh, the other option is to have the business uh, uh, power of attorney uh, in place. Uh, but as, as Alan said, a lot, most of us, or a lot of us, we don't think this stuff, think about this stuff or face this stuff until there's a crisis. And then, you know, if you're in the crisis, uh, in the scenario I've painted here, uh, that's when you need to have the business uh, power of attorney already set up uh, if you need one. And so it's, you know, it's, you, then you're looking at going to court or because it's too late to, to do a POA and that type of thing. As we will discuss in just a sec, uh, there are some online ones uh, that you can have. And in fact, in the uh, handout, uh, that you'll have access to afterwards. Um, there, there's an official state of Nebraska form that is guaranteed legal in Nebraska, you know, on the Nebraska Supreme Court's uh, website. So uh, there are 
online materials that yourself, you can download them, you know, print them out, you know, initial a few things and sign it, and, you know, get it notarized and, and, uh, and, and you can be good to go. But I think that it's an important enough decision that you should visit with your attorney first uh, because there's, uh, um, there are things that can go wrong and, and it's good to have, have somebody who knows, knows a little bit about it uh, to give you some advice. You know, you may end up doing something that's very close to what the online form would be. Uh, you may end up doing, you know, the online form, but at least you'll know better what the advantages and disadvantages are and, and what could go wrong and maybe kick some things around in terms of, well, you know, how, how, do, how, do make, how can we maybe avoid uh, some problems that, uh, that, that might be uh, uh, involved in this. And the problems are almost always gonna be people problems. And so those are things that, uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's my concern about the fill in the blank approach because that's, uh, uh, it's, it's good to have somebody outside of, of the family taking a look at things and, and, and giving you some advice and, 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 and maybe identifying if there are some potential people issues that, you know, what are, what are things that we can do to try to reduce those? Okay, so what is a power of attorney? And uh, powers of attorney are things that people who have a lot of property or a lot of money, you know, however, you know, whatever their, or their property is, uh, you know, they, they've got these uh, because they're working with lawyers and the lawyers are, are keeping them on top of where they need to be. And, and so they've, they've got them. Uh, and, you know, somebody who's has a lot of investments, but, you know, doesn't, is not engaged directly in a business, uh, they're going to have a, what I'll call a financial power of attorney for somebody who can, you know, take care of their stock portfolio for them and, you know, make sure that the, the coupons get set in for the, you know, for, for on bonds or, you know, to get their, their bond payments or whatever, uh, you know, they will have that set up as a part of their, uh, as, as a part of their situation. But, you know, uh, most people in agriculture are not necessarily in that, high-end financial category so they may not so they probably don't have them uh but in the business sense it's you know it's what's lawyers refer to as an agency agreement where you've got the uh the principal and that's the person that we're worried about not being able to 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 help with the business you know at crunch time or something like that um and they give uh the agent and who is the person who was receiving this authority uh to act for the principal uh, under specified conditions. And it could be like, you know, make business decisions when the principal is incapacitated uh, or out of the country, you know, something like that. And that, that's uh, uh, just an example. And, you know, what are the, the types of authorities? And in the handout, uh, if you look at, you know, there's, I think, 13 uh, in, the, uh, uh, in, the, in the Nebraska a Supreme Court form. And it's, you know, the, the categories are very broad, very broad. And uh, it's, you know, the way the Nebraska form works is there's, you know, you've got this list of the 13 authorities. And, you know, it's like real estate or lending institutions or, you know, insurance. They're all, all, all kinds of, you know, just whatever the 13 forms have to be. 
and and you can initial that says yes my POA has this authority uh, or and if you don't initial it they don't have that authority uh, but they're very they're very broad and on the form there's like five lines if you want to write in some limitations and uh, that's you know that may be enough but uh, I can easily imagine circumstances where you'd want more than that and so it's uh, you know that these are very broad areas and the authority that you're granting is is, is virtually absolute uh, you know if you say real estate if you check or initial the real estate uh, box then they can do anything with real estate buy sell uh, mortgage uh, lease uh, you know get rid of tenants you know get new tenants whatever you know whatever it is they can do everything uh, that the uh, principal could do if they wanted to and uh, you know it's it's you know it, and they may end up doing you know the authority is so broad that it would be easy for them to do something that the principal wouldn't do if the principal were uh, the person taking the action and uh, the example of this uh, is you know of somebody misusing this broad legal authority you know abusing the trust that the power of attorney document gives them uh, is you know uh, when uh, say grandma uh, gives uh, a, a daughter or a daughter-in-law or, or a son-in-law or you know a niece or a nephew or a grandchild uh, they put them on their checking account uh, in, you know so that if you know if grandma can't sign for something uh, if she's sick or something like that that somebody can can write checks for them and pay her bills and whatever well what can happen you know if somebody starts you know they, they said great I've got I've got grandma's I've got, I can sign for grandma's checking account. So I'm going to take out a thousand dollars and go to the casino. You know, I mean, that's not the common response, but that is certainly a possible response. And, and this is the sort of thing that happens. And this is why, you know, nervous Nellies like myself say, you know, understand what you're doing. Uh, and it'd be before, before you, you, you turn that authority over. Okay. Here's the, Here's the 13 uh, options on the, in the uh, Nebraska uh, online power of attorney form. And I'm not going to read them. Uh, you, can, you can read to them a lot, but it's, it's comprehensive. And, you know, one of the options is say, you know, yeah, they, they can do everything so that they, anything that they need to do. Um, and, you know, so worst case scenario, uh, you, you say all of the above, you give, whomever, we're not going to, we're just going to say, you give the agent the authority. Well, if they want, you know, they can go to the bank, cash in some CDs, uh, you know, put the money in the checking account, you know, write themselves a check, go to the casino. And, you know, it's just, you know, there's risk. There's risk involved with this. And so you need to have confidence in the person that you're going to uh, have as your agent. And, you know, I can imagine a lot of authorities are going to say, you know, well, we're going to have, um, you know, we're going to, we would give this to, to Sam because, you know, when we go, Sam is going to get the farm. Uh, you know, there, there may be some complicated relationship with the other kids and stuff, but he's the one that's going to have it. And so, you know, we're just going to give it to him and we know that he's going to do the right thing. We know he'll try to do what, we would do uh, if we were able to. So, you know, we're not worried about him, you know, 
embezzling money or anything like that. You know, I mean, if, and if that's the case, you know, uh, you know, the, the online one will do you. And, and, uh, uh, but I think it's probably worthwhile to visit with the attorney anyway, just to make sure that you're, uh, that you're doing it, uh, you're doing it the right way and that you don't need to put in some, some limitations or some qualifications. You know, there may be some decisions that you want to say, well, you know, I understand that he could sell a farm, but if he's going to sell a farm, uh, I think that he ought to, that somebody else ought to be involved in that decision by, instead of just Sam by himself. You know, uh, I can imagine the laundry list of things like that, that, that would be appropriate for consideration to, to put into a power of attorney. But, you know, that's, that's uh, the discussion that I believe that you need to have uh, with, the, uh, with your attorney. Now, if you've done the power of attorney and uh, the, the power of attorney has been triggered because of, uh, you know, the, you're in the hospital or you're on a ventilator or something like that, uh, then, uh, and, and there's somebody is doing the wrong thing, uh, you know, when it comes to light, the family can, you know, take them to court and stuff like that. But it's, it's you know, it's, you, you hope it, you certainly hope it never comes to that. Uh, but if, if that, if there, if it doesn't go the way you uh, hope it will, uh, then, you know, you can go to court and try to get things straightened out. But, you know, if they've lost the money at the casino, you know, there's, uh, and, and don't have it to get back, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's kind of a tough deal. Uh, you know, you can't get blood out of a stone. So, but, you know, friends or uh, family members are often, uh, uh, agents in these situations, particularly where it's a family business that's involved. Uh, so that, I mean, that would be the most common type of setup. Okay, now we'll talk about the real end of life stuff, uh, the healthcare uh, advanced directives. And there's, you know, there, there, there's a bunch of them and they are, um, there's a little bit of a complication because there's, uh, this is an area where there are uh, some some politics involved in terms of what should people be able to do and what should we not authorize them to do, you know, like assisted suicide, for example. And so because of that, and, and we're a, a, a socially conservative state here in Nebraska, so our, our laws are a little bit different than the laws in, in other states uh, where where people have a little more freedom, frankly, to make, you know, decisions that they want and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we've, we've hand, we've hand, hand that freedom in a little bit, uh, in a way that the legislature thinks is, is, is appropriate. So, uh, the, the details are kind of important, but you've got different legal documents that are authorized to do different, different things. And it's possible to combine all of these things into a single document, like a healthcare power of attorney, uh, sometimes there'll be different documents. It just kind of depends on on how on how things go. Uh, but here, I think that there's you know that the person you need to work with is your doctor to understand kind of what your choices are. There are good online materials that I found very informative, and uh, you know that will take you that will raise some important uh, questions that you have uh, that you may want to discuss with your doctor. So it's, uh, and we'll get into some of those choices in just a bit. 
But the healthcare part of the attorney deal with, you know, if you're in a hospital, but you can't speak uh, or you can't communicate for whatever reason, uh, you know, who will make those, who will work with the doctors and make those healthcare decisions if you can't do it yourself. Now, the way, again, from the reading on these, on these, uh, uh, these, you know, helpful materials, uh, you know, they will, you know, they'll talk to the spouse. If the spouse is there, they'll talk to the spouse to, to find out what they should do. If the doctor has to make a choice on which direction do they go with your treatment. Uh, and if there's no spouse, then they'll talk to the adult kids. And if there's a consensus among the, the adult kids, uh, they will go with that. Uh, you know, if there's not family there, uh, then, then the doctors will, will make their best medical judgment and, and make the decision themselves. And, you know, some people are fine with that. Uh, others, other people say, well, you know, I'm, there are some decisions that, you know, if, if we get to this point uh, in my health uh, where I'm not going to be able to do the things that I want to do uh, or, you know, I'm not going to have the mental capacity to do things or whatever, then, you know, this is the choice that I want made. Uh, I don't want to unnecessarily prolong my life or whatever it may be. And, and so those are the kinds of things that you can uh, deal with in these, in these documents. And, you know, you can have as much in there as you want. Uh, you can have the minimum one. The minimum one would be to identify, you know, your healthcare uh, agent, uh, you know, through, in your healthcare power attorney and say, if I, can't make, if, if I can't make the healthcare decision myself, I want whomever. You know, it could be your spouse, it could be some other family member, it could be somebody outside your family, maybe a friend, uh, you know, but, you know, but that's kind of up to you. And that's kind of the, you have to try to figure that out in terms of going through it. But here's just on this one screen, I just want to identify some of the choices that you may deal with in your, in your power of attorney, uh, healthcare power of attorney. Uh, you know, one example would be that, you know, I want to stay alive as long as I can, you know, kind of regardless of my medical condition, uh, that, you know, as long as they have, there are things they can do to keep me alive, I want to be kept alive. Even that mean, that'll be, means I'll be on a breathing machine with a feeding tube. Uh, that's, that's what I want. Or you can say, that's not what I want. And, you know, so you would, you know, check a different box and say, you know, I want, this treatment to basically to keep me alive, but only if, you know, the one is, you know, be able to communicate with myself, my family, two, to take care of myself, three, to live without, you know, incapacitating pain, or four, you know, to be aware, uh, conscious of my surroundings. You know, you can check all four, uh, although there's, you know, a little bit of inconsistency there. Uh, uh, you can, you know, you can check one or two or three, you know, it, it would be kind of up to you. And so personally, I'll, that's a, that's a discussion I want to have first with my physician. Uh, and then, uh, you know, later with the family, but you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy conversation to have, but it would be good to talk you know, a doctor would be somebody good to talk to because they can give you the medical perspective on it and, and, and say, you know, look, you know, for, for some of these things, uh, in a year or two, they may have better treatments for them than they do now, you know, so don't, you know, don't pull the plug too soon, you know, that kind of thing. 
that would be the uh, that would be the, the conversation to have. Then a third option is just I just want treatment directed towards my comfort, but not to keep me alive. So you know those are. But that I think kind of brings helps at least for me helps bring into uh, focus kind of you know what are the choices that you're talking about, and and again you don't need to confront those choices if you're not comfortable doing that. Uh, but if you do, it, and, and it, it could be very helpful for, uh, you know, for the family, especially uh, if, if you are in one of those medical circumstances. Okay, now we're going to do a little bit legal stuff. Uh, the, uh, the living wills, uh, that's, you know, where you can deal with some of this end-of-life stuff. Uh, uh, and where you deal with, um, you know, if things don't look good, you know, are they going to keep me alive? Uh, are they going to keep me alive? Uh, if so, under what conditions? Uh, you know, if you're on a feeding, if you're on a feeding tube and a respirator, uh, you know, you're you're probably not going to be in a condition. You know, you're not going to be talking to people and stuff like that. So, uh, it's you know, but but that's what the living wills are. And uh, then there's also the so-called do not resuscitate order uh, or DNR order. And I've also seen them referred to as provider orders for life-sustaining treatment. Uh, in Nebraska, this is something that has to be signed by a doctor. If you want a do not resuscitate order, uh, you, um, you know, you can do that. You can talk to your doctor, and if you, and if they want, uh, you can uh, you can say yes, that's what I want. They'll put it in your, they'll sign it and put it in your medical chart, and so to the hospital or something. That should be, they should see that, and they would honor that. Uh, you can always revoke those too. If you change your mind, you can say, hey, wait, I changed my mind. You know, so then you you know, run them, track them down the 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 orders and uh, and tear them up, or destroy them. You know, so that they're not in the file anymore, but, uh, but you can do that. And, you know, I, I remember in, in my mother's case, she, she had a sister, a younger sister, and they were the only two girls in the family. And uh, my aunt, my, on my mom's side, uh, uh, died before my mom did. And uh, after my uh, sister or my aunt died. She was my mom's one last link, you know, to her early life, and uh, every everybody else from family and 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 friends, you know, from that, you know, from when she was young, uh, were gone, and so that's when she said, you know, I I want a do not resuscitate order. They said, you know, if, if the end comes, I don't want to drag it out. And, you know, she was 93 years old. And so that, you know, uh, I understood emotionally why she did it. Uh, I, was, I was not surprised because uh, her relationship with her sister was, was very important to her. And uh, they were very close. And so, you know, that's the kind of circumstance in which somebody might want to do something like this and and that's the um it is an option that is available uh and uh, you know we've, we've got kind of a specified procedure in nebraska but i think it's 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 a pretty good one not too bad okay 
these are just some other issues. Uh, you know, one things that is often dealt with uh, in in these end of life documents would be uh, organ donations. Uh, you can you know you can sign up to do that or not. Uh, if you don't, you know they they won't. If you don't authorize it, then it won't happen unless the family uh, is there. The doctor asked them, said, you know, we'd like to harvest some organs or whatever. And uh, and if the family agrees, you know, then they can do that. But if you go on a record and say, I don't want it, uh, you know, then then it's going to be, you know, then, then your wishes would be followed. Um, you know, there are some formalities. Uh, it, it's it can it, for some of the forms it gets a little tricky in terms of who can be a witness. A lot of time, family members cannot be witnesses, uh, and and your uh, doctor uh, cannot be a witness. Uh, but uh, you know, somebody in the doctor's office can be a witness. Uh, you know, somebody from a hospital can be a witness. Uh, but it's you know, they need to have. Uh, they usually require two witnesses if they're not notarized, and it's. Uh, you know, and they're people that are, are basically disinterested. And, uh, you know, if you do want to, if you go and look for an online forum, if you find one that's not specific for Nebraska, you know, it, you're taking a chance in terms of whether the, the hospital would go ahead and follow it anyway, even though it wasn't precisely legal under Nebraska law. But I think that, you know, uh, if you're, if you're going to do this, then you definitely want to have the conversation, maybe more than one conversation with your doctor uh, in terms of what your, you know, what your choices are. And uh, at, at some point you want to uh, discuss with your family what your choices are. And, you know, that, that could be a, a difficult conversation, particularly if you say, you know, if I'm in this sort of uh, condition uh, and it doesn't, doesn't the the doctors don't think that uh, the doctors think it's irreversible then then i'm i'm okay to just to just uh you know keep me comfortable and 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 that's all and uh children could say no 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 don't give up you know this kind of thing we don't want that uh and and uh you know so that would be could be could be very difficult but uh that's what the you know, if you do that, it, it, if, you know, when the end comes, it'll, it will make things easier for your family. And that's probably the best reason there is to do it. Okay, uh, I will uh, stop sharing my screen and uh, we can go to the questions and answers. So if you have any uh, questions, make sure you type them in either the chat box or the Q&A box. Doesn't matter. One question came in, uh, Dave. Uh, it is, uh, what's the personal and family maintenance on the state list of authorities you can grant in a power of attorney? It, it is extremely broad. And it gives the power of attorney agent the authority to provide family maintenance or to discontinue family maintenance. It's, I mean, it is complete. I mean, they have, they have the same power that you would have. Uh, one thing I didn't mention is that uh, one option that you have in the Nebraska uh, power of attorney form is that you can authorize um, 
changes to the estate plan. And lawyers often recommend that that be done, but they also assume that the person doing it, and if they were smart, they'd write it out that way, that the person doing it would, you know, on the advice of the attorney or, or a tax accountant or whomever, you know, make estate planning changes to uh, avoid uh, tax pitfalls or to take advantage of new federal estate planning opportunities, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but that's, you know, those qualifications are not written into the, into the online form. It's, it, you know, if you give them, if you give them the, uh, the authority to make estate planning changes, they can disinherit everybody basically except the surviving spouse. And, uh, you know, I mean, it is very, very, very broad authority. And so I would, I would, uh, I think it would be prudent to put some qualifications on that authorities. Uh, even though you have, you know, a very high degree of trust in the person who you're going to uh, give the uh, power of attorney authority to, um, I, I think just as a matter of prudence, it's, it's, it would be good to have some, uh, to have some responsibility, to have some qualifications or limitations put in there to, to uh, uh, keep things headed in the right direction and to, and to, and to not do things that the principal would probably never do themselves. Thanks. So my question is uh, simply this, because it comes up all the time and in, in people that I talk to, and it, it's uh, if you have, uh, let's say you have two children, do you name two children as co-executors uh, or co-determiners um, of the power of attorney, or should you just pick one? Well, I, I don't have a great answer to that because, as I said, a lot of the issues with these powers of attorney is depends on the people uh, involved. And I can imagine, you know, I can imagine all scenarios. I can imagine where the two would work well. Uh, I can imagine a scenario where the two would never agree and you'd have gridlock. Uh, I can imagine where uh, if you gave it to one, that they would be very responsible and do what mom and dad want them to do. Uh, and I can imagine someone who would say, oh boy, here's my chance. Now I can get you for all the rotten things you did to me when I was a kid or whatever. And, um, and so that, the answer to that question depends on the people, the, who the two people are and what their relationship is, what their, uh, you know, what their sense of responsibility is, what their familiarity with the business is, you know, all that. And, but, and one thing I, well, one thing I should have mentioned, I forgot. It's, it's, yeah, one thing I should have mentioned earlier is, you know, obviously you want someone who is familiar with the business. You don't want to give the power, business power of attorney to somebody who doesn't know about the the farm, the ranch, whatever whatever the business is. Uh, and I think that kind of kind of goes without saying, but I'll I'll just say it uh, uh, because that that's very important uh, because you don't want them uh, messing up the business just because they don't understand what they're doing and they, they make a mistake. Yeah, it's interesting because I'll talk to some attorneys that absolutely feel that you never give it to more than one. You always make sure it's determined to be just one. I don't know uh, that I have enough experience in that area to make that conversation, but I thought we should at least uh, have that a quick discussion about that because uh, it's, a, it's an important thing for people to figure out how they want to handle their power of attorneys. And, 
and their their um, how they want to handle their the end of life the healthcare directives. So, well, the one the big advantage of that is that you would avoid this gridlock, you know, where the two never agree on anything important. And I think that's, you know, the the lawyers is sitting there saying to themselves, look, you know, if if there's two of them, they fight, you know, and I say, look, you got to do this. And, and they don't, and they can't get it done, you know, then what we, what we, what we set this thing up for in the first place. So that, that would be the advantage. Yeah. Well, I don't see any other questions that have come in. So maybe I'll just uh, let everybody get along their, get along their way today and then say, thank you, Dave. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of extension farm and ranch management in the department of agricultural economics at the university of Nebraska Lincoln to view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions and discover more timely news analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making visit farm.unl.edu.